Conference of Champions rolls on. No truck stops here. We are the Pac-12. We are the best of the best. Welcome to No Truck Stops, the Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos. Joining me is Avery. Hey. And Matthew Bertson. What's up? Uh, as always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at No Truck Stops Pod and email us your questions at No Truck Stops Podcast at gmail.com. This is our football episode recapping what happened around the league on Saturday. As we've noticed, no Greg today. He's off at some truck stop doing God knows what. Um, but we do have two special guests uh, who are going to be joining us to talk about Pac-12 football, what happened this week and what's going to come next week. First, say hello to Emily. Hi, everyone. Emily is a former sports writer and now a huge Oregon fan, a prominent one on Twitter and a close observer of the Pac-12. You can find her at Emily E. Taylor 23. Um, and our second guest, say hi to Owen 12. Hey there. As his name suggests, Owen12 is an irreverent Oregon Twitter troll. Am I allowed to call you that? (laughs) I don't know if it's correct, but I'll roll with it. (laughs) Uh, He's really skilled at getting under a lot of fan skins and just talking about Oregon and having insights about that. Anyway, we're really excited to have Emily and Owen join us to talk about the Pac-12 and give us um, Oregon fans' perspectives on the league. Since, uh, theoretically, the Ducks sit at the top of the conference. I mean, I know, like, in, in reality they do, but just, you know. In, theory, in reality, yeah. nobody sits at the top of this godforsaken conference. Uh, Ideas yes. and Pac-12 standings are, are the only reality. <laughs> um, okay, so I just added this note because this happened earlier, so I'm sorry if this caught anyone off guard, but we have to start with some news. Um, Washington fired Jimmy Lake without cause after the loss to Oregon and then his suspension because of uh, him shoving and hitting a player on the sidelines. They suspended him for a week, um, and then a week later, after Washington's loss to Arizona State, um, they fired him without cause. So now Washington apparently owes him $9.9 million over three years, um, and they're going to be joining a heated competition this coaching cycle I just thought we'd start like these are your rivals, Emily and Owen. So I'm really curious about what you what thoughts you all have about Jimmy Lake getting fired and what kind of job y'all think that is. Emily, let's start with you. I actually kind of came to terms with him being fired after the Oregon game. So I think for two weeks now, it's kind of been set in my head that he has been out at um, Washington I absolutely agree that Washington's joining kind of a hot pool of needing head coaches. And I think that's really interesting considering all the jobs that have opened up in the Pac-12 and kind of what they bring for potential coaches. I did think firing their offensive coordinator would buy Jimmy some time. But then like with the other allegations that came out this week, and I think that on top of, even though it was without cause, that on top of kind of his coaching style in general and kind of his Helfrick-esque-ness that he has to his coaching style. Um, no, it's not surprising to me at all. What, what do you mean uh, Helfrick, Helfrick-ness? He has um, long reminded me of Mark Helfrick. I think from the moment he got hired at UW, I kind of just didn't really see the longevity there. And I was actually really on board with Helfrick in the beginning, but it's easy to kind of be on board when you have a team like Oregon did in 2014. And um, it's kind of easy to be on board with that. So 
Jimmy Lake didn't really have that type of team going in. So he kind of already didn't have like all the stars surrounding him to make it seem like it'd be a long tenured position for him. Um, it kind of seemed pretty obvious that it would be short term. That's interesting. Oh, and what do you think? What do you think about that job or Jimmy Lake's firing or? Yeah. It's a tragedy. <laughs> it's really a tragedy. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a drinker, but I'm having one tonight. It's, uh, out for, it's a somber, Jimmy. it's a somber night. Um, he wouldn't want you, know, you to waste it. You know, she's, Emily's right that, that we probably, some of us, maybe a lot of us, maybe everyone saw this coming. Uh, but the people who didn't want it to, um, Washington is that being said, probably one of the best 15 jobs in America. It's probably hard to argue against it. I actually live up here in the Puget Sound, so I'm pretty familiar with with the area and in the region and expectations. And I actually have a lot of Husky fans up here. Um, it was a uh, it was a long time coming. It just happened really fast. Um, I'm just I'm gonna miss him. I'm gonna miss him dearly. He did nothing well. Um, he he absolutely was a train wreck. Um, he he is a, one of the best snake oil salesmen you'll ever meet in your life. Um, and up here in Seattle, that works pretty well with a media who's desperate, um, you know. And, and so they fan the flames for him. Uh, COVID probably helped, really. I mean, as far as I don't want to say helped, but it did. That shortened season allowed them to to kind of really um, think higher of themselves than they really were, probably. Um, and let the complacency set in. Um, uh, John Donovan is is all you need to know about Jimmy Lake. Um, again, I just I guess I probably have a lot more to say, uh, but uh, I just I just filled with sadness that he's gone. It's uh, it's like losing a friend, dear friend, and uh, you know um, I just take comfort in the fact that knowing that the people in charge of hiring his replacement hired him and um you know we'll be all right we'll be okay uh we'll move forward um the grief will onward be short, and downward and, uh we'll we'll be able to make fun of someone again here very very soon for their incompetence at the university of washington i have no doubt in my mind uh, oh and i i appreciate you talking about you know the, those people that uh, that the covid season may have worked on i'm, I'm curious avery is an unbiased national pac-12 journalist um <laughs> What, what were your can you just remind us your thoughts yeah, on on um, the University of Washington's football program as the, uh, going coming out of the 2020 season as I, the official I, no truck stops Twitter account mentioned today on Sunday November 14th I may or may not have selected Jimmy Lake as my preseason coach of the year um <laughs> better pick than Clay Helton I will say he did last <laughs> longer so <laughs> it wasn't the worst um I also may or may not have suggested the possibility of Washington being a playoff team. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They, I, I feel like I feel like there was one more piece to that that prediction. Though. Uh, I feel like there was one more piece. Not, maybe, I definitely maybe one more piece. <laughs> what was the other piece? They had the easiest path to being undefeated. Oh, wow. Something I about it was a guarantee. I Some, it was not something. a guarantee. <laughs> I just said they had the best path, and then they lost to Montana. Okay. 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 Um. Yeah. Thank you for the reminder, Matt. Did Ryan Leaf get? Did Ryan Leaf get his information directly from you, or did you I get it directly from course. Ryan Leaf? <laughs> okay. I okay. may have been a gun. <laughs> may, have, may have been guns and knives. Um. I will say, don't be too sad, uh, Ducks fans. Our sweet, sweet Bob Gregory is now in charge of Washington football. 
if you don't know who Bob Gregory is, that is their defensive coordinator who was formerly their linebacker coach and is renowned for being one of the worst recruiters in UW history. So he is at the wheel. Um, They are paying Jimmy his buyout, and that's a big chunk of change. And if we know anything about Washington is that Jen Cohen might not be too thrilled about handing out a huge salary to their next head coach. So I wouldn't be shocked to see them hire in-house possibly, which would make absolutely zero sense after hiring half of your coaching, firing half of your coaching staff. But you know what? Bob Gregory could have a long future here. If not him, I fully expect them to hire some obscure assistant coach in the NFL right now because I just don't think they're going to shell out a ton of money, which is too bad because I think they're definitely – I think there's an argument that they're top three, top four job in the Pac-12, and they deserve – they could easily get a premier coach here, but I just don't think they're going to pay for it. So I don't expect – I think they're going to yeah. pay for it. Really? I, I don't. Actually, I don't. I, I don't I, think you're actually yeah, a college football team I if don't. you're not paying multiple buyouts. So the fact that so they only have one right now should be fine. Oh, Hopkins. The University of Washington does not have Stanford money, maybe, but the University of Washington make no mistake about their resources. Their resources are just usually very divided. They're very, you know, you're, you're, you know, thinking about Oregon is, is, is their funding is streamlined. There's one main person, a couple of large donors underneath that main person. And really the pyramid is half a dozen. It's kind of like the Illuminati. It's a really, really small group that funds everything that you see. I mean, really, I mean, 95% of the money that comes in is, is really from maybe a dozen or so people. Now the university of Washington, they have if not as much, if not more money, and you probably could easily argue more money than the University of Oregon does. But it is divvied out amongst thousands of people. And those thousands of people generally, especially recently, have had a very different idea of what the future looks like. Do they have the right guy in place? And it wasn't until recently that at least a large majority of all of them got together and decided, oh, well, this isn't going to work. And guys... You know, you're going to hear guys like Napier from Louisiana. You're, you're going, they're, they're going to go spend the money because if there's one thing that they have, $10 million is nothing to them. And spending another however much money and also guaranteeing that head coach a lot of money to allocate a proper assistant coaching staff if after they've seen the weaknesses of hiring Gob Bregory and John Donovan, they're not going to make the same mistake again. They're just not. They're going to spend the money. If anything, they might spend the money on the wrong people. That's a definite possibility. But they're not. it's not going to be from a lack of spending money. That place is sailgating you, and they have the money. I have a question. I'll get a question for Matt and Emily. I'd, like, I'd be curious about hearing about your thoughts because we talked a little bit about where the plate, like how good the Washington job is. Um, Washington is not going to be competing with just Washington State and USC, which I think are both very, I mean, like from my perspective, are both very different pools. Like what USC is going to go after is very different. Would you say that? Um, What USC is going to go after is very different than what Washington State is going to go after, which is very different than what Washington is going to go after. But the one in my mind, um, and maybe two, the UCLA job might open up. And in my mind, I feel like the pools, the coaching pools for Washington and UCLA will overlap a lot more than UCLA and USC or UCLA and Washington. So I'm curious. So we'll start with Matt and then go to Emily on this one. Is am I right? Do you feel like those two pools are overlapping UCLA and Washington? Um, and which is the better job? 
I I see the UCLA job overlapping a lot more with USC right now than I do Washington. Um, I think that Washington is just a very different job um, when it comes to when it comes to like a culture fit, as well as just what the general expectations are in that job. Um, I don't think that either USC or UCLA are in a win now mode. I think Washington wanted to go to the playoff this year. I don't, as much as I'm going to talk shit to Avery about it, I don't think that that was an absurd take or or one that was that was only held by her. Um, I I think that Washington is far more in a, you know, looking at the Napiers, looking at the Fickles, looking at the. Um, Oh gosh, Iowa State's dude. I Matt did this Campbell. earlier when I did a hit. Um, yeah, Matt Campbell. I I think that they're going to be looking at those same those same guys. Fickle and I Campbell. That, Fickle and Campbell are both people that are that, that get mentioned for the USC job. Yeah, but I I think that USC is also going to be looking at you know the potential of of like your Tom Hermans and your uh, James Franklins. That they're they're look at more looking at the names. Um, Harbaugh, if he ends up leaving Michigan for some reason. Um, those, those are the kind of coaches that I think that you're going to see more attracted to the LA jobs. I think that Washington, if, if you're smart, I think that Washington is the better, the best job available right now in the PAC 12. Now, Florida is about to come open and that's definitely a better job If Michigan. If that comes open, that might be a better job. I don't know. And at UW, you're not competing against Ohio state. So that's probably a little bit better, but I just, I, I think if you're a smart coach, there's a big opportunity at UW right now that's not far off their blue chip ratio team right now like that, that there's there's opportunity there that does not exist at ucla and i i think it might even not exist at usc right now i think that's going to take a couple of years emily what did you think is the the washington ucla job how would you compare those and is there any threat to washington in terms of their, their pool yeah absolutely i i agree a lot with what matt had mentioned actually i feel usc and ucla are a bit more closer in that regard than UW. I do feel UW is super eager to kind of get back to where they were a few years ago in regards to playoff contention, whereas I think USC and UCLA are going to take a bit longer to get there. In terms of rebuilding, um, side note, I'm not totally convinced the UCLA job's going to open up. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not either now. (laughs) Carlos is manifesting. I'm manifesting. Chip put on a show against a premier conference team. He is manifesting because I'm just, I'm not totally certain that that's going to take place, but... Um, yeah, I'm into your, your energy about that, Carlos, but regardless, I do, I do agree with Matt in that regard. I do think Washington is very tempting and I do think it's the better job in regards to the resources and what they have available to them right now. And, um, whereas I think USC and UCLA, but definitely USC is kind of going for big names as we've seen, like people just keep throwing out those big names and it gets absolutely ridiculous in regards to what big names they throw out but that's definitely where they're going whereas i i think uw is a totally different route like like there's no chance we hear that usc is hiring billy napier right like there's i i don't think that there's any way that he's that he's not in their top five and he's like he's gonna get a big job well, I mean, well, I just hear about the names that Washington fans keep talking about overlap with UCLA, with UCLA, the names UCLA fans keep throwing, throwing out. Like, I don't think that UCLA will be in the market for a big name like USC will. I kind of feel like they're in the Kalen DeBoer, uh, Dan Lanning, the what's his, what is he, the defensive coordinator at Georgia, I guess, is a name that Washington fans have thrown out. 
um, they've been that those names are sort of getting kind of tossed out there. But um, Washington going with a defensive coordinator again would be absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, is there one candidate? I mean, aside from like a joke, like a joke candidates, like we were doing this with USC and Jeff Fisher and Jack Del Rio and like all those names who come up every few years. Is there a one name uh, to the Oregon fans? And we'll start with Owen. That um, that give me one name that you're like, oh, I'd love it if Washington hired that person, and then one name where you'd be like, I'd be kind of scared if they hired that person. Wilcox, we'll start there. <laughs> um, I'm not gonna lie, that would be a dream, and he's you know Junction City, Oregon through and through. But um, if they hired Justin Wilcox from Cal, boy, the jokes just write themselves, man. Um, it's like having a whole team behind me. It's great. Um, depending on how much money they have and how mu- how much they're willing to be aggressive. The name that scares me beyond high heaven is Lane Kevin. Okay, this is why I said those jobs. That is the last person I want. (laughs) I was the last person on earth. And I honestly think you, I honestly think UCLA is going to see like, they're kind of like that college junior who sees it's a really big draft class. He's going to stay one more year. I think the AD is going to give Chip one more year because next year there can't be any, the openings can't be any more porous than they are right now. So Chip might get another year just because of that. Yeah, starting to look that way. Emily, what do you think? What's what's one name that you're uh, not that that you would feel good about, and one name that might scare you as an Oregon fan? Scare what scares me? Um, it, Owen took it already because I was gonna say Lynn Kiffin. That's the first name that came into my mind when you asked that question. Um, I actually read a funny conversation about UW hiring Mark Heltfrick, and that would probably be my other answer. Is something that I'd be totally fine with. <laughs> I'd feel great about. Would probably be Heltfrick or Chip Kelly. Get him to hire Chip Kelly. That sounds great. I'm not. I am not. I am not okay with Washington hiring Chip Kelly. No, <laughs> no, for, no, no, no. Please, no. That I, I you. no, no. It, it, it's not about scaring me. That's like a, you know, Chip Kelly is like a family member <laughs> who, you know, you know, he 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 had his success. You know, he's kind of maybe fallen on some harder times, but that's still family. And to see him go. From a Montague to a Capulet is unacceptable. I can't mentally process that. No, no, sorry, just no. What's stopping them from hiring Carl Durrell? <laughs> <laughs> Bring his old um, O-line oh. coach too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got Well, Rick Neuheisel's yeah. available. Been available for some time. Maybe he can go back to that well, and he wouldn't cost much. Five hundred thousand dollars to save Jen Cohen's money. <laughs> Um, any other thoughts about the uh, Jimmy Lake job before we the Jimmy Lake the Jimmy Lake firing and the Washington job before we move on? It's a sad day. <laughs> all all right, so let's recap the actual games. Let's start with the Oregon game. Oregon beat Washington State late last night, thirty-eight to twenty-four. Um, this game was a lot like I think every other Oregon game, mostly within reach for Washington State for the vast majority of this game. Uh, the score was 24 to 17 for Oregon in the fourth quarter until Oregon kind of pulled away late behind some big runs from Byron Cardwell um, for the game. Oregon ran for 306 yards um, while holding Washington State to just 91. So Oregon wins again. They go to 9 and 1 and they solidify their place atop the Pac 12 North. Um, we have talked to Avery, Matt, and I, and Greg have talked a lot on this podcast about Oregon possibly being, uh, not to be, not to sound so harsh, but fraudulent. Um, 
we're skeptical of this Oregon team, I think. Um, and so what I uh, want, thought we would start with grapes here. Avery, has that changed for you? Did this game maybe like improve your image of what Oregon is, or do you still not trust them? Yeah, this is the best Oregon has looked since Ohio State. Like without a doubt, I, I think this is, you know, a lot of people are low on Washington State because of narratives they've had for years. Get it out of your brain. Washington State's a good team. Like, yeah, I've had some Oregon hate, but honestly, I'm very high on Washington State. And I think this is one of Oregon's best wins this year in conference play. People are going to think I'm an idiot, but I picked this as my bad vibes game, which is basically I pick, I like try to pick the worst upset of the week and I'm pretty good. I think I'm like 50, 50 right now, but I picked this as my bad vibes game and the vibes were pretty bad. Um, after Washington state scored and tied Oregon's 14 points going into halftime. Um, I mean, going into the second quarter, but I mean, yeah, going into halftime, sorry. But Oregon looked really good, and I can't argue with it. So my thoughts on Oregon have changed quite a bit. Um, They are capable of putting together a decent game where they don't let the opponent crawl back a million times. I think something may have happened before the game where somebody threatened Mario Cristobal and said this would hurt recruiting (laughs) if he didn't have a convincing win because I don't understand, like, what the quality opponent here, Washington State is better than Stanford, way better than Cal. I don't understand how this was the game that Oregon decided to blow out their opponent. Um, But I definitely am higher on Oregon after this game. Their running game was good. They had like an overall good game plan. Anthony Brown looked good, which upsets me because I don't want people to be tricked into thinking he's a decent quarterback because he's not. But yeah, I will say Oregon is clearly the top of the conference if there is a top of the conference uh, she's being super nice because there's Oregon yeah. present um <laughs> <laughs> yeah what? Uh, yeah weird emily uh what, what did you think what did you think of this game i don't i don't know what your impression we kind of talked a little bit before we started but um i'm not sure what your impression is of this oregon team and do you feel better or worse after this washington state game um i i definitely i feel better after this game personally i I made the mistake of tweeting that I thought this would be their most complete game (laughs) and people did not like that. I actually think Oregon was pretty in control for most of the game. Die fumbled and that definitely shifted momentum right before halftime. And I think Oregon, you know, kind of did what they did best and they came back in the second half with that momentum that has kind of basically been their survivor for this season. Um, Like Avery mentioned, opponents have been able to crawl back and find life. And I think, um, I think Oregon did for the most part, a really good job of kind of putting it away this game. I was really impressed with the statistics of Oregon against UW. And so I was kind of excited to see like that same power kind of trickle into this week against Washington state, because I'm just telling myself that they're kind of finally meshing, they're coming together and, you know, pieces are falling into place to some extent. Yes, there's flaws. Um, fumbles happen. Washington State did a great job at forcing fumbles, and that was basically where their points came from. So I think 
you know, there's definitely things that obviously need to be cleaned up. Cardwell is a star. I'm super excited about him, and I'm pretty sure I was just praising him for most of the game because I was I was really excited to watch him run and kind of do what he does best in that number 21 jersey. But I felt I felt pretty good leaving this game despite some questionable referee calls. Yeah, I will say really quickly, no Oregon fan should be beating themselves up about the fumbles. Washington State is the best at forcing fumbles. I They're freaky. It's, it's mystical. I don't know what they do. We've talked about it before. Matt had a really good description about how they don't try to strip the ball after the fact. They're only trying to strip the ball, and somehow it works. Like So two fumbles against Washington State, that's a win. Good, good job. They they are they are great at forcing fumbles. So it kind of it, it was yeah two two isn't that bad. And I was really impressed with how the defense came together. I mean, despite those fumbles and kind of having to defend on that side of the ball. But um, otherwise, yeah, I I personally felt pretty good. But you know, it has been a long season with how these games have played out in recent weeks. I would say UW was probably kind of a turning point for me personally to kind of like walk mm. away and be like. Okay, I don't know if it was just because it was UW and it kind of ended with that horrible call with which was a safety and then Oregon kind of put it away. But that was kind of a turning point, but it has still has been a long season for this team. Yeah. Um yeah, I think we've all been waiting for like that that uh like that 2019 USC Oregon game where they had like six straight touchdowns or something and like blew the shit out of the uh, of USC. Yeah. Uh, Owen, what did you think about this game? And uh, do you feel like it improved what you think about Oregon or about the same or worse? I, 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 I always fear playing the Coug. Um, I, I, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably know all week I made sure that um, if Coug Twitter came to eat us after we lost, that they ate me last. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't. I have a healthy respect for the Coug. Um not only their tailgating ability, but how they play against us every single year, no matter what. I don't care what their record is. I, it, it is a nightmare. Um, the defense has gotten a lot better. There was there was so many injuries in, in key positions where certain positions took just the depth just uh, was just eradicated. The linebacker, for instance, playing opposite of Sewell, they ended up having to move uh, a safety called, you know, Jeff, or named Jeffrey Bassett down to linebacker, and he has just blossomed. It took a couple weeks, and there were some failures along the way, but that guy is, is just a bona fide star. Um, and, you know, the defensive line has really, really come around. Um, part of it was last night was the fact that tight ends and running backs chipping didn't, you know, exist, and Kayvon just ate, but um, the defense as a whole – with, throughout all the injuries within within that defense, it is it is impressive. Um, for someone who's watched decades of Oregon winning just by simply outscoring you, this has been a lot of fun to watch. That being said, the offense is um, frustrating. It is what it is, though. I mean, we're we're three quarters. We're at the, the three quarter pull. It is what it is at this point. Um, uh, you know, you could argue that Oregon has looked good a couple of games a year, and you could argue besides that, and I, and I mean this as you know, just t- take away my personal bias and love for my team out of the side of it. You could argue Oregon's probably the worst top five team you've ever seen in your life. Yep. I don't know Utah. It is, I agree. It, is, it is. 
Yeah, you, <laughs> I, I'm gonna leave my Utah slander for another day because I got a whole file. Yeah, we can meet you. It. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I can I can go on about Utah slander, but it's it's you know part of it is college football is just kind of having a down year. There's not a lot of really good teams. Number one, you know, and then you know three years ago, Oregon's probably the 15th best team in the nation. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just you know who's better than them at this point. You know, you, you could have argued Ohio State if they hadn't played, but at this point they played without Thibodeau on the road and won. Oregon is who they are at this point. They're going to be frustrating to watch. They're not scoring to score enough points to blow teams out. The way they're the way they're constructed, the way they like to run the ball, without those explosive plays, which they're few few and far between this year, it's just we're going to methodically just squeeze you and win by fourteen, and that's just how we're going to win games. Um, I just kind of, I've had to come to kind of yeah. come to come grips with it um, mentally. So, um, but we're nine and one, third in the country. So, how bad can it possibly yeah, it's be? Fair. Winning games defensively, what's yeah, that like? Yeah, um, it, it's weird. Yeah, it's I'll, cool. I'll tell you, it means you have a smaller margin of error, and I think that that's just kind of what everybody else sees when looking at Oregon. I, I mean, I was higher on Oregon than the rest of y'all last week, so I'm just I get to stay pretty pat. Like you're just you don't have elite quarterback play there right now and that's okay but you're just you're not gonna be an elite world beating team if you don't have elite quarterback play that's why you know we are talking about college football being down across the board frankly like yeah you say Oregon may be a top 15 team any other year every year four through 15 is pretty much a wash like in years that we don't have a great Alabama Clemson and you know Ohio State Maybe Oklahoma looks for some reason better than everybody else, but otherwise the difference between, you know, your five and 15 teams are really, really small. It really has a lot more to do with, with the rest of your conference than it does those actual teams. And right now, Oregon just has the luck of the drought. The fact that the Pac-12 is absolute shit right now. And USC isn't a threat and Utah isn't that big of a threat. And Washington isn't a threat. And, you know, I mean, we're, we're seriously like any other year, Wazoo winning that game by 14, yeah, you respect the Coug and all of that. But like that, that's fine. That's what you expect, and it's just it's fine. And in this year, that might like out of your last five games, that's probably your second most likely game to lose. And that's just that says a lot more about where the Pac-12 is at that Oregon State is or that Oregon is still undefeated in conference play than anything. And that's okay. That's perfectly okay. It doesn't change who you are. Um, let's move on to talk about the. Uh... Pac-12 South leader Utah escaping Tucson with a 38-29 win. Um, If you didn't watch this game, it was much closer than the score indicated. Arizona had a chance to tie this game at 31 uh, with about 10 minutes left with a two-point conversion. They scored a touchdown off a blocked punt. Cut it, cut the uh, Utah's lead 31-29, went for the two-pointer and missed. So they fell down, but there were still 10 minutes left. Uh, unfortunately for Arizona, Utah then went on a 15-play, eight-minute touchdown drive to ice the game and send Utah to seven and three on the season. Arizona to one and nine, I think. Um, so, how much of this game did y'all watch, and were you more impressed with Arizona or more concerned about Utah in this particular game? Uh, Owen, you want to start? Arizona's going to be okay in a couple of years, and we all need to get on board with this Bear idea down, baby. that Arizona Arizona football is going <laughs> to be okay in a few years. And by, by okay, I mean they're going to be one of the best four or five teams consistently in the conference, especially with the way this conference is looking and projecting. Yeah, the the bar is on the floor. I thought you were going to say Pac-12 <laughs> South. 
<laughs> I have long since advocated to abolish the Pac-12 South completely, or at least give it to the Mountain West. But, <laughs> um, Let's do it. Um, honestly, you, Utah, but, no, uh, Utah fans, speak for yourselves. We're, we're fine. We Utah's dominate there. Team. You can't. Let's go. <laughs> Sorry, Owen. Go for it. It's still very foreign to have Utah as a con. I'm old enough where it's very weird that Utah is a conference member, but I digress. Uh, uh, Arizona's going to be good here soon, and it's going to be fun to watch. Um, I've always wondered when the Arizona schools were going to get their shit together and finally be um, as relevant as they should be within the conference for football. I don't know, and Utah, I don't really communicate with a lot of Utah fans, so I don't understand, like, is Kyle Whittingham like the mafioso boss of Salt Lake City? Does he does uh, he that, just like is he's like a port commissioner in a small town where he just runs everything like a bad showtime? Because he just he has so much unbridled power. And you guys, I mean, Salt Lake City's not the worst demographic. It's not the worst place. Um, like, there's a lot of resources there. Like, but he's just going to be there like Frank Beamer until he's 105. And I just don't understand why he's just like. We'll never do better than this guy. This guy is, the, he's got the oh, jaw to keep us around for 30 more years. Keep going. And I am, genu- I am genuinely curious from Utah fans to understand, like, I don't go to Salt Lake very often. Like, just like, oh. does he shake you people a- down? Avery, like, how do you want to teach him about the old Salt Lake, the old Utah inferiority complex, or do you want me to? Yeah, so once upon a time, Kyle Winningham beat Alabama. And that was the greatest thing to ever happen to the state of Utah. We, keep in mind that the Olympics were here once, but no. Beating a, a, what about a Herb? bad what about, Alabama team. What about Herb? Team. You guys don't even remember He's a center. Was a Ur- Urban is a center. He, he abandoned us. He doesn't go to church. Um, Kyle Whittingham goes to church. And Kyle Whittingham beats bad Alabama teams. Kyle Whittingham has only lost like three bowl games. Um, so he's the greatest coach of all time and it's, build the uh, statue. Absolutely oh, insane. Oh, and legitimately like, so like there is historical like fact that there is a significant and intrinsic inferiority complex in the state of Utah. Uh, this expands well outside of the bounds of college football. Um, genuinely the majority of the fan base at Utah is desperate for Morgan Scally to be the next head coach because they truly believe that if anybody but Morgan Scally gets hired, Utah will go. De- Utah will be at the level that Arizona is at right now. There is zero belief that Utah actually has resources. There's zero belief that Utah has any advantage whatsoever, and that Utah, that this has anything to do with Utah as a program. There's there's true belief that this is all the shoulders of Kyle Whittingham, and that continuity is the only answer that could possibly happen. Clay Helton and Ed Orgeron and Jimmy Lake and every other continuity hire that has ever happened in the existence of college football be damned. Yeah. It's different here because of Brian Trim. <laughs> I don't know. Utah, I love Kyle Whittingham. I feel like I need to say that so I don't get fired. I love Kyle Whittingham. Love him. See, this goes back. Love that see, man. See, you're going kind of going back to that like that muscle aspect of like, <laughs> Love him. Right. No, he's he's a really great man, but Utah fans are really happy with where we're at and they're scared if we do anything else like Matt said we will be the new Arizona so it, yeah, it was he, a lock he controls it us, was a lock nice that Utah way. was going back to the Mountain West as soon as Oklahoma and Texas decided to go to the SEC like it was all burning down yeah Utah's P5 dream was over well 
it's amazing because Utah fans will act like that until someone like Carlos pops in and says, actually, you guys are poverty. And then suddenly they're like, no, they're like, we beat no. UCLA. <laughs> no, we have a market. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, um, well, then uh, just to redirect us about this game, which is still fascinating insight on uh, Utah fans. And like, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of weird things I learned about Utah and Utah I'm fans that I think so much I trouble for that. will never understand. <laughs> Um, anyway, so what did you, Matt, what did you think about this game in particular? Yeah, I, I said this before, I, Carlos is going to get mad at me and tell me I'm moving the goalposts. It is so fascinating to see Utah as a program and Utah fans especially react to Utah being an offensive team right now, um, and having a better offense than they do defense and just not knowing how a game flows and, and how that works, um, Yes, this game was closer than it should have been. Uh, by the way, on that blocked punt, Utah came into the game 125th ranked in SP Plus special teams, uh, up to 123. You only you only give you up one blocked punt for a touchdown. A like that's touchdown. yeah, we're we're making improvements. Special teams getting better. <laughs> so um, I yeah, I just when you're an offensive team, you have a little bit of a bigger margin for error, and that's what this game looked like. Um, Utah did not play well. Utah did not play well defensively. Um, yep, Arizona is going to be just okay. I am fully on board. I was not at the beginning of the year. I was very wait and see. Um, Carlos took the jump first on Jed Fish, and and I'm Let's I'm ready fishing. like that. He has definitely got the program and the culture working in the right direction. Um, this is never a game that should have been this close when you are playing what I'm pretty sure is their fifth quarterback. I'm I'm pretty sure. I, I I think I think that they've legitimately like played five this year though. Um, I think that if Plummer goes down, we're we're looking at a wide receiver playing wide uh, playing quarterback in this game. Jamari Joiner, yeah, well, yeah, Joiner, yeah, Joiner. I still that's think that, I still think is. they would have done somebody else. I think Joiner would have played his snaps in the Wildcat. Well, they have, and they no, would have put, put in somebody in, else. Last so. week they put in Ashworth. They no. put in Ashworth last week, and he threw an interception yeah, on perfect. his first attempt. Yeah, absolutely. So then they put Joiner. So in. yeah, I. So, yeah. It was closer than it should have been. I yeah, I mean. No Tavion Thomas, I a lot of weird penalty stuff. I it's a game in Tucson, man. These things are weird. I, yeah, Tucson games I, are. Y'all have nightmares about Stanford. I have nightmares about Tucson games. Yeah, tu- Tucson is a weird place to play. <laughs> yeah. uh, Emily, did you get to watch much of this game? And what did you what did you think? I watched, I think most of the second half. I watched of this game. Utah's one of those teams where like I have caught like a quarter here and there all season so I've kind of have oh, understood you, <laughs> um, you know what I what really struck me was yeah like Arizona was tough like they I think they're better than their record I absolutely think in a couple of years they're gonna be just okay and it absolutely is treading in the right direction and I think the games they have played this season especially in the last few weeks have proven that you know getting their first win um, kind of giving Oregon a run for their money in the beginning of that game and then playing Utah the way they did in Tucson, which I agree, Tucson is weird. Weird things happen there in regards to college football. <laughs> um, but the uh, the penalties, that is like really what struck me. So that's kind of like where this comes in of like, I've only caught a quarter here and there. And the quarters that I have watched, I've never really thought of like Utah really allowing um, and kind of keeping Arizona drives alive because of penalties. Like that's really what stuck out to me is um I didn't I didn't think Utah was that that kind of team. I've heard it. I mean, I've seen it with like ASU and even with um some Pac-12 North teams in the recent weeks, but 
that was definitely one thing that stuck out to me about this game. And yeah, that was that second half. It was wild. Yeah, I love was... that you bring up the penalties because I think there was a few egregious calls, but watching Utah fans react to Utah being an undisciplined team, they think every call against Utah is the worst call in the world. <laughs> like I was, I was at this game. Um, quick review of Sorry. Tucson. I rode a bus with a bunch of college kids down to this game. I was a chaperone. It was a terrible experience. I will never be returning to the city of Tucson, maybe for basketball. I like their arena down there. I like the McHale Center, but I do not like the city of Tucson. Their stadium was a garbage pail, and the game was at noon in Arizona, so it was incredibly hot. But being surrounded by Utah fans, I would say there's more Utah fans in the stadium than Arizona fans. Every single flag that was thrown, like on the most obvious holding or face masks against Utah, these Utah fans acted like they were being personally attacked. It was hilarious. So there's definitely the inferiority complex and the victim complex coming through with that. But I will say Utah, I'm very frustrated with after this game. I know that they're not going to win games by defense, which is their bread and butter. They love to play really strong defensively and then run the clock out and just run the ball because you can do that if you're stopping the other team on every drive. Utah was playing out without Tavion Thomas, who's their starting running back. Um, Derek Henry Light, as we like to refer to him on this podcast. <laughs> he wasn't playing out of precaution um, for injuries, but I don't think that's the reason Utah wasn't super effective with running. They ran the ball 44 times and had an average of four yards per carry. Um, I think that if Derek Henry, I mean, Tavion Thomas was, you're welcome, if he was in the game, it probably would have been a little bit better because he's really good at finding those holes and getting um, yards after contact. But Utah was forcing the run game. And I they love to do this against teams that they know are bad because they're like, oh, if we just keep running, it will eventually work. Arizona came in with an amazing defensive plan. Like kudos to Jed Fish and co. They did the most simple defensive thing, which is put all the guys on the line so you can't run. But it worked because Utah refused to throw the ball. Um, Cam Rising had 10 yards per carry. So, I mean, per throw. So I don't know why we weren't throwing the ball. I think that Utah is going to win games by throwing the ball. Um, they can't rely on their defense for everything like they have in the past. So if I don't see a lot of passing going forward, I will commit a crime. Um, I'm, I wanted to point out this game was in Arizona at noon. So I'm sure that the heat affected them. I'm not going to blame the whole game on that. It affected me. I almost died. Um, and also we're playing the number three team in the nation this week, whether or not they deserve that, that's another issue. And Utah isn't really known for looking ahead at games, but if you're playing Arizona who lost to NAU, um, I think it's fair for you to do a little extra prep for the next opponent. And so I think that really came through offensively um, with the just completely vanilla play calling. I'll stop ranting now. Nobody cares. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is a it was a particularly it was a weird game to watch because I think Arizona was 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 playing. It wasn't just sort of like, I don't know, Arizona got lucky a couple of times. They were moving the ball, doing a really good job. So yeah, uh, Utah does escape. I'm, I told y'all about Jetfish. Told you that he was a good coach. Um, I told y'all that I, I, you all called you, me crazy for thinking that you he thought was... he was going to start three and zero this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're mm. right. I, okay. If I think Jetfish is a fine team, coach, but I. Oof. 
Yeah. So did you, I by did. the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> um, okay. All right, so anything else uh, about this game that anyone wants to say? Oh, I know there there's some injuries um, on the offensive line particularly who has been playing really well. And I don't know, like I don't think a lot has come out about that, but if we're missing guys like Nick Ford and one of our tackles and we play Kayvon Thibodeau next week, a little worried about that one. Yeah, going to be interesting. Cam Rising, you know, they've had that – Utah fans have had that – corny hashtag thick boy seven he'll don't get you to, dare he'll get to play the he'll get to as a co-creator i resent that comment he'll get to play the best uh the best player probably in the in the league um if not the country so in cave on thibodeau mm-hmm. so he plays the best player in <laughs> should, the league every every should. day on pra- in practice actually <laughs> I, uh, I also want to i need to give a quick shout out to arizona last week beating cal making sure that they go 0 and 12 making allow me to keep my uh my twitter handle so um just a, a quick shout out <laughs> To Arizona, I was very worried. I was very worried. Only one school in this conference carries that crown, and um, I was getting super worried about it. So, Arizona, if you're listening, Jed, thank um, you so much. Don't worry, Arizona's going to um, be ASU. So, my son and I high fived to Husky Stadium last week when we heard the news. It was, uh, it was it was a big deal for me personally. So, thank you very much for the brand. <laughs> uh, for the brand, yeah, I know. What would you What would you have done? You'd have to have a fine, a whole new brand just because of the that. first uh, O and yeah, twelve. I, I would have. I, I would have. I, yeah, I'm not clever enough to come up with another <laughs> idea. Too, so I would have been in real trouble. All right, um, let's move on to Oregon's rival, Washington. Let's talk about this game really quick because I know we're running a little long. Um, Washington fell to Arizona State 35-30 to um, in a game that I guess technically got Jimmy Lake fired, but really was the Oregon game. Uh, bizarre game. Uh, I'm not sure how much of this you all caught, but Washington was in control for much of this game. Um, the chatter was sort of, uh, hey, maybe this Washington team was figuring some shit out with Jimmy Lake being suspended and their offensive coordinator, John Donovan, getting fired. Um, they scored on their first two touchdown drives, and people were sort of going nuts, uh, then went up 24-14 to pretty late into the fourth quarter. And then Arizona State rallied, namely on the back of their star running back, Rashad White, uh, who had 184 yards and two rushing touchdowns. Um, I mean, I want to start with you. How much of this game did you watch? Was there anything about this game that you were uh, particularly impressed by from either Washington or or Arizona State? Or maybe there was something that you were, like, appalled by um, for either of these teams? So I was appalled by... (laughs) (laughs) Or you were impressed by there was something that was impressive to you. <laughs> um, okay. Well, just kind of going off. So I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't watch. Um I I kept up with this game and then I went back and watched highlights because I kind of had to see how it got to be where it was. Um kind of not surprised by this at all, even when UW was up fourteen to zero and everyone was really happy and assuming that Lake was the problem and now that he was gone, their issues would be solved. Um no, I I, I was really impressed with how ASU came back and you know those turnovers were absolutely key. ASU still has like this massive penalty issue. Um, that's who I actually think of when I think of like penalties in the Pac-12. Like I know Utah had like that weird week last week with U of A, but I actually consistently think of ASU with penalties. But yeah, um, absolutely. So I think in a way the penalties were, or the turnovers were also appalling, but that actually is what made the game super interesting and actually gave ASU some hope. Um, 
I think Rashad White is awesome. And this is not like the first week in which I have thought that the last few weeks and even the season in general, he's been he's been pretty, pretty great. But there were definitely questionable quarterback decisions on both sides constantly. Giving Daniels the the um, space to run is really kind of what gave ASU the game. Yeah, and he does that well. Um, his his passing game, I think, feels like Herm Edwards has kind of broken that. But um, <laughs> um, Owen, what did you think? Did you get to watch any of this game? Were you? Uh, <laughs> well, I I never miss a Husky game, Carlos. <laughs> are, you, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, I think it's uh, pretty funny that Junior Adams has never called a game in his life and went out there and easily, you could tell from moment one, was five times better than John Donovan's. Didn't he best call game the Arkansas State game? I'm pretty sure. I don't remember I'm pretty that. sure that was because that's when they thought that I was, was a, a Washington fan. That was theory. the second yeah, I, I coming think. for them. They're like, no, the Montana thing was John Donovan. He's locked in Jimmy Lake's basement. Junior Adams has saved us. <laughs> and then they played. Mich- they did whatever they did against Michigan. I wouldn't call it playing football. Uh, maybe it's yeah, a theory. It's it's head cannon. It's a good theory. I I I had a I came out with a conspiracy theory last uh, a few days ago. Um, that um you know kind of ties into all of that um a great thread uh, if anyone should go back but, uh, and like you should pin that to your profile so that people can find that because that was good but uh uh you know it, it's, it's just tough to talk about washington in the post jimmy lake era um brings a tear to my eye arizona state arizona state you know is going to make a great documentary one day a great 30 for 30 i don't know what is going on down there and honestly i haven't for 25 years and i probably won't for the next 25 they're like a a comet once every eight years they're relevant and then we just all watch them walk you know whisk away into the (laughs) darkness again and there's no reason for them to be they have all of the resources they should be a dominant program and i mean ucla and arizona state have always long been you know, the two programs, you look at this conference, and you're like, what's your problem? <laughs> Why can't you figure it out, man? Um, and so I will always think that about Arizona State until they actually show any sort of consistency, even from a month-to-month standpoint. Um, they're fun to watch. They're You never know what you're going to get. Uh, but there are also – you're never going to be able to count on them to do any – you couldn't count on Arizona State to mow your lawn for you. And they they've been that way for for as long as I can ever remember. So I'll keep yeah I'll I'll stop there. But uh, yeah, I don't have much to say about Washington. I very rarely ever do. <laughs> I'll go ahead, Emily. I do. I absolutely agree with the lack of consistency, and I feel like that way with ASU and kind of even UCLA going into the season with the rosters that they have. I was kind of aiming and kind of expecting more consistency with both of these teams, but, you know, I don't want to drift off. So sticking with ASU, I was absolutely um, expecting more consistency. And the fact that they've been able to go off this season the way they have with the roster that they have has been highly questionable, but like Owen said, pretty on brand. Yeah. Yeah, they had that horrific six-quarter stretch that I think really tanked their season. It's like... The rest of the season is trying to recover from that. Matt, what were you going to say? I, I love this world where Arizona State is UCLA, uh, therefore implying that Arizona is USC. Um, <laughs> that just warms my heart in, in really any direction that you want to take that. Um, I, I love the fact that Washington um, somehow found a way to put up 30 points while still resulting in a negative 0.18 EPA per play metric. Um, very happy with with the consistency there and making sure to stay negative. Um 
and and oh my gosh, we Jaden Daniels makes me sad, man. Like this is this is to the point that it's actually breaking my heart. I I did not want to see him succeed in any way, shape, or form. Um, this is this is absolute malpractice um, on on the front on the Arizona State coaching front. Um, I'm I'm personally offended by this. I thought Jaden Daniels was good. I thought he would even be very good. And um, this this is a direct attack on my intelligence as a football fan, and I, I will not stand for it. <laughs> Jaden Daniels yeah, had the that's... ceiling if he had a good coaching staff to be like a a good pick in the NFL draft. And now, what what happened? What did Herm Edwards do to him? I will build a statue on every single lot, every single post office address for Tyler Huntley in the state of Utah. And there's no reason that Jane Daniels shouldn't be everything that Tyler Huntley is. And more. Like, yeah. there's yeah. zero reason for that not being the the comp. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they had similar I, – I went back and looked at this a, a while ago. They had very identical – seasons when Tyler Huntley was a senior and Jaden Daniels was a freshman. Um, and so he's dropped off. Yeah. It's been, it's been, it's, it's been sad. It's everything. It's accuracy. It's happy feet. It's decision making. Like all of it is so bad. Yeah. It it just, it's, it's terrible. Truly heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, speaking of quarterback malpractice, so Dylan Morris is UW starting quarterback. (laughs) If you don't know Qu- quarterback who Sam seems Heward, like a stretch. You know, if you don't know who Sam Heward is, this is this is the golden boy. This is this is the future of, of UW football, the greatest legacy child to ever be born. UW fans have been telling us that Sam Heward is the second coming of Christ for months. And you know what? I think he's genuinely a good quarterback, but he hasn't seen any playing time. Kind of the idea was he wasn't gonna get his um red shirt. Uh, blown out in this terrible, terrible season. He he was on the field for this game. I don't understand why um, it was the plan for. Oh, go ahead, Owen. I, I know the answer to that question. To no, that's just. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. This it's gotten political at Washington. It's gotten it's gotten it's gotten political. If you don't think that the Hewards are personally involved, you're crazy. If you don't think that they are starting to say things like, listen. Um, we'll leave. We can transfer. We can. He, he can. He can pretty much go to any school he wants to go to, Oklahoma or anywhere else he wants to go. He, like you said, he's five star and he's quite mm-hmm. talented on a team that is not yep. that talented. That's a people. That's another thing that people need to get across is Washington's not that that talented of a, of a team anymore. Well, not on that side of the ball. Yeah, not on offense. No, I mean, I mean on either side of the ball. They have a really talented secondary. Sure, you could argue their safeties are not as, that as a non blue chip team. And I'm their front seven, the and their front. <laughs> I, I've seen the talent composite. You, you can, yeah, you can, you can composite whatever you want. They're not a talented team. They're just not. They don't have the depth on either side of the line. The running backs are questionable at best. They have two good receivers, a really good talented quarterback. Two or three really good, talented defensive backs, and outside of that, they have ZTF, and that's about it. They don't they don't have a lot of NFL talent on that team anymore. They just don't. It's not 2017 anymore, Toto. It's just not, and it's a realization. A lot of people are like, oh, Washington's talent. No, no, not really. That's a bit of a rebuild, and they're going to have a lot of people leave into the portal into this offseason. So it's it's not as rich as you think it is from a talent side i mean if we just think about it from a performance perspective right like i think i think coming into the season people thought 
for example, Washington's offensive line was going to be good. And and on paper, the talent was – I think on paper, the talent was good. I think the thing that we're seeing um, in terms of Washington's talent, I think, is like um, regression and lack of development. Whatever the opposite of development is, I think, is what's going on. And I think that's why – they have the talent issues that they have. Um, and not just the offensive line real quick. Um, yeah. To your point, Avery about Dylan Morris, it was like, this was someone who had, who looked, he looked fine last year. I don't think he was, he was not as bad as he is this year. I thought Dylan Morris actually looked completely serviceable last year. Now it looks like he's unplayable this year. That way that they, no, 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 no. This was my point. Don't take my point. Go ahead. Go ahead, Avery. Please. My ADHD is trying to make me forget it. Um, my whole point about bringing up Sam Heward is they put him in the game. He looked fine. I don't understand. He should have started the season. He's clearly a better player than Dylan Morris. I don't, whatever, whatever that is. But they miraculously recovered an onside kick at the end of the game. They were down. They were down five points. They had one second on the clock. So they had one play. And they strutted out Dylan Morris, who has never completed a pass over 15 yards. Never. Maybe he has. I don't believe it until I see it. Anyways, they put out Dylan Morris for this miraculous play instead of Mr. Golden Boy, who apparently can throw footballs over mountains. And Dylan Morris can't complete a seven-yard pass. So I'm like, if you're going to burn a game on Sam Heward, at least have him come attempt this amazing throw, right? I don't know. That pissed me off. Like, Dylan Morris is a crime against football fans. I, I'm sure he's a great person. I don't know. He, I, yeah, whatever. I'm sure he's a nice. That I'm is sure such a good point. Nice man. That is such <laughs> a good point. He, <laughs> the red, they, they brought him in to hand the ball off. It was, it was a tragedy. tragedy. And I'm not even trolling. Oh, I'm not even trolling. I'm being sincere. That was. Why would you do that? Why would you bring Sam Heward in finally For just to attempts. let him hand the ball off? I, I was attempts. so excited because I've been told. I've been told this is Jesus Christ playing football. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see him run or whatever, but no, I got to see, I got to see Dylan Morris blow a lead. It wasn't Dylan Morris's fault. Well, actually it was a pick six. So it was Dylan Morris's fault and then not complete a seven yard pass. And I, I feel like I should get money. I feel like I need to be calling a lawyer to represent me for damages because I'm so mad about this. (laughs) I mean, I just think, uh, again, I, I, I mean, I just feel like a lot of that is, is coaching. I think he's regressed so much from, and again, 2020, he was no great shakes, but this year, I just feel like it's been a huge regression and not, and just a little bit more specifics on that. You know, Washington gets the onside, um, gets onside kick. They have a little bit more than five seconds. I think they might have like, uh, under a minute, maybe 30 seconds, something like that. They actually were able to go, um, their full sort of like five, three or four plays, the first three plays were all like dump off throws and he could not, he couldn't hit, he missed all of them. Um, they were all throws for about four, six yards out and he missed every single one of them until he threw a pick six. Um, that to me feels like a coaching thing. What you're saying is that they should have just punted when they were within one score with less than two minutes to go (laughs) in the game. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. The confusion in the stands when that was happening <laughs> for the Oregon Washington was game. On, yeah we uh my son and I went to the game and we were on that side of the field uh in the, you know up in the 300 level but still it was it was it was right at us and the few husky fans were left and the duck fans around and the, the level of confusion we the, the amount of people that were looking back and forth like chickens trying to understand the clock 
the situation and making sure that they weren't batshit fucking crazy. It was every single person in the stands, young or old, it didn't matter. We were all as one people for a moment, completely confused as to what the hell was going on. I said on, on the pod last David, week. David I, Woods. This, this was, David Woods said that's why he got fired. Th- this was Jimmy the most like obvious fake in the history of fakes. <laughs> like, there's no way you're actually kicking this football. That's clearly a fake. What are you doing? Yeah. No, hands. I thought it was a fake. Hands down. <laughs> yeah. That that pun is going to go. Yeah. That pun's going to go down in history. I think we're. I think that's like one of the there, most infamous. And it didn't even get to punt it. Very fitting. One of the most infamous. Yeah, for that to actually be his last his last play as the head coach, like very the greatest punter of all time too. How dare you take that away seconds. from Race Porter? It took three full seconds after that ball went out of the back of the end zone for me to understand what was happening. <laughs> my son asked, "Like what happened?" And I didn't answer. I was staring. <laughs> the players are celebrating. I'm like, "We got a safety, right? This isn't." And I, I mean, literally, I think it was the the confusion that led up to that too. It didn't help, but no, it. Yeah. I, it's again it's a dark day today it's a dark, um dark day. i feel like i need to quickly make a correction so that one specific husky fan doesn't yell at me later but after washington scored a touchdown with like 20 seconds left in the game they failed the two-point conversion and that they had a kickoff with one second left that they miraculously recovered as an onside kick i don't know how they got it it was like the weird did it touch the ASU player? Whatever. Did it go 10 yards? But that's when he had the one attempt, and it was literally like a seven-yard route to Roma Dunze, and he missed. It was bad. Yeah, tragic stuff for Washington. Arizona State, I don't think any. <laughs> Arizona State, uh, I don't think um, – I. I I, well, I don't think I don't think Arizona State fans are particularly impressed with this game, um, but they're happy to get a win. And remarkably, by some grace of God, their uh, Rose Bowl hopes are still alive. Believe it or not. Um, so weird stuff. <laughs> they will conference. be huge Oregon fans. Arizona State fans are going to be rooting for Oregon very hard um, these next couple of weeks. So let's see. So we got a couple more. Uh, let's move on here and just talk about the last two games. Um, let's end these recaps by talking about two teams who ended some big bowl eligibility droughts. UCLA reached bowl eligibility for the first time since 2017, throttling Colorado 44 to 20 with a surge in the second half. And Oregon State, our Beavlet, became eligible for the first time since 2013 two words two when, words when when mike riley was still in corvallis uh they beat the shit out of stanford 35 to 14 um hip hip hooray <laughs> not done yet grapes uh did you happen to catch much of either of these games and between the two who do you think between oregon state and ucla who do you think has looked like the better bowl eligible team right now yeah, I watched both of these games completely. Um, as we all sicko. know, huge, Pure huge sicko. Oregon State fan. I love me some Beavlet. Um, super happy for Oregon State. They deserve it. They definitely have looked like the better bull eligible team. You know, they have that terrible loss to Cal that I still don't understand. I think it has to do with road game juju. Um, but I think they're top half of the conference. I think they've looked really good. Jonathan Smith's doing some good stuff. Um, don't understand why they are passing the ball so much against Stanford. Don't get it at all. Kind of annoyed at Johnny Smith, which is what I call him when I'm angry. Um, as some of you know, I run where give BJ Baylor the ball every down. I mean, don't kill him, but I want, I wanted 500 rushing yards and, and I absolutely did not against get Stanford. That ain't a concern. Yeah, that's true. I, I got, 218 rushing yards and 257 passing yards. I don't want I don't want to see Chance Nolan throw. 
I have no, he looked pretty good in this game, but I want to see BJ Baylor destroy what's left of Stanford's front seven. That's what I wanted. I didn't get it. I'm really sad about it, but I'm really happy for Oregon state. I, I think that they're going to win their next two games. Um, but going, moving on to, you think UCLA. they're going to be in Oregon. Wow. Big. Uh... Oh, okay. Actually, I don't know. Cause it's in Eugene. If it was in Corvallis without a doubt, since it's in Eugene and Oregon state's just been ass on the road. Does, we can talk about does, it. In does a Oregon weeks. state have the better quarterback in that matchup? I'm just asking. I mean, chance Nolan looked good, but it was also against Stanford. So yeah. Do with that what you will. Um, UCLA and Colorado. I picked this as my bad vibes game. I'm, I think Colorado's on the up, guys, or at least I did. I'm confused. I'm still really confused. They started out this game super strong against UCLA. Um, everyone on the podcast picked Colorado to win. I think they're 15 point dogs. We are all extremely confident about it. And we all felt really good until Carlos tweeted from the No Truck Stops account that we all unanimously picked Colorado to win and we were going to be right. That was the moment where the vibes left us and went over to UCLA to support Visor Chip Kelly. If Carlos wouldn't have sent that tweet, we would have seen a Brendan Lewis masterclass. But no, Chip Kelly's going to have another year. Chip Kelly's going to remain here. And it's all your fault. And I hope you feel bad, Carlos. Because I hope you enjoy I'm your mad. bamboo. I got to see, see a Colorado offense that should have won a game. But no. Because you had to just go and tweet that. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, for, okay. In my defense, that first half, it looked like Colorado was going to run away with it. Colorado oh went up, yes, went up twenty to seven uh, in the first half. Brendan Lewis looked awesome. Jarek Broussard made some awesome plays. Love the I was reigning, so happy for him. The reigning Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. He looked really good. Um, it sort of looked like. UCLA might have been was about to melt down um as I've seen as I've seen from UCLA many 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 years before just sort of uh all right uh we lost the game um our goals are behind us now where they're not they're unattainable uh and then just sort of mailing it in and then yeah the second half happened and UCLA went on a 34 to nothing run to end the second half held held Colorado scoreless uh UCLA uh, UCLA's offense actually, um, you know, one of the, especially for the Oregon fans, one of the critiques of Chip Kelly has been he he completely abandoned the offense um, that he championed while he was at Oregon because he's more interested in being an innovator than he is uh, a winning head football coach. But this time we actually saw some of the blur that he ran. <laughs> uh, you know, people on UCLA Twitter were, were really stunned that UCLA was kind of picking up the pace and the tempo and running a lot of super simple concepts and then doing it over and over again. Um, so yeah, UCLA won. I would say just for this question that I wrote here, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I, it, it's funny because UCLA and Oregon state look very similar and have very similar profiles. Both are teams that have uh, at best questionable defenses and at worst really horrible basement level defenses. Uh, both teams have elite running back play. Um, in elite run games, getting 200 yards rush. I trust Oregon State's run game more than I trust UCLA's, but um, typically I, I kind of think that they're pretty comparable. And then quarterback play, like uh, both both quarterbacks, it's like if you can get them to do the right things and not have them carry, I, I, I tend to think Dorian Thompson-Robinson can carry UCLA much more than Chance Nolan can carry Oregon State. Um, 
So super similar profiles. I don't know. Like I, I wish these two teams could play. I kind of wish there was a bowl game between these two, just because I think they're so similar um, and have some very similar flaws. I also watched the Oregon State um, Stanford game. Kind of really sloppy early on. Um, you know, I, I, it it was fine. I mean, I chance Jonathan Smith is very enamored with trying to throw when I think. Really, getting 60, he should just run the ball for him from his rushing back 60 yards, uh, 60 plays per game, really. I mean, that's when Oregon State is at its best. When you go back and look at the box score and you're like, holy shit, they ran for 55 rushes. They had 55 rushing attempts and like 15 pass attempts. Yeah, I mean, it's it's impressive when they do that. So, um, Emily, did you get to watch either of these games or, you know, if you sort of were looking back on them and keeping up with them, what did you think? Yeah, absolutely. So I watched like the first quarter of – Stanford and Oregon State, I agree it was pretty sloppy. I um, I feel like I trust Oregon State more than UCLA, kind of going back to that, that question that you asked, Carlos. But with that being said, it was really nice to see um, DTR back and kind of do, like, get back with his team. He played this game. This game, the, the Colorado game, I mean, with UCLA, kind of went exactly like I thought it would. Even when Colorado was up, similar to UW, I was like, it's not going to last. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I wasn't surprised that UCLA came back. But, um, yeah, in regards to UCLA versus, like, Oregon State, I absolutely agree that they kind of have the – the same profile I just kind of give a bit of edge to Oregon State um based on what I've seen of Oregon State and what I've seen um like Jonathan Smith do I'm pretty impressed with it so far yeah he's in an awesome job uh I think probably I don't know he's gotten bowl eligible now so I guess we'll have to contend with his like is this dude the Pac-12 coach of the year kind of feels like kind of feels like he has to be at this point but um Owen, did you watch either of these games, and uh, do you feel like you trust UCLA or Oregon State more? Or I would just, I would say that I trust Oregon State more than UCLA. I think Oregon State is, is just Oregon State's more motivated, I think, than UCLA is. I think for a variety of reasons outside of even Westwood and those sorts of things. Uh, I I think you know a team that hasn't made a bowl game in eight years. I don't care who you are. Um, I think there's a little bit more fight with Oregon State. I think there's a little bit more want to and in this conference that actually can go somewhere with a lack of talent pretty much everywhere. Um, They have major flaws. Um, I tried not to watch any game involving Stanford um, just because I get really jealous that everyone else gets to kick the shit out of Stanford and for whatever reason... God hates us, and uh, every time we play Stanford and wants nothing good <laughs> to ever happen to us, no matter what, pick your year. Um, so it's hard time. I have a hard time watching Stanford play anybody. Um, but like I said, UCLA is probably a year away from making a change and making wholesale changes. I think there's just too many changes out in the college football landscape for an LA like USC is their neighbor. Like, are they going to try to go fight with with you know USC for a coach or? whatnot but Oregon State's Oregon State's going to be a, a good program for a long time in this conference I think they're going to be kind of what Washington State was here recently a team that's going to win six to nine games a year for the foreseeable future they figured out the transfer portal faster than everyone else in the conference a lot of the players who play a lot there you know did not sign at Oregon State originally um past that um both teams are ass so you know, make of it yeah. what you will. Yeah. 
might be important to note, though, like, that Oregon State was going up against a very, very hurt Stanford team. I mean, they've been yeah. hurt, like, all year, but I think they're even more so hurt. I think they're, like, on their fourth quarterback. Is that right? Like, this was, like, their fourth third. quarterback. Third? Okay. Third quarterback that is starting, and it showed. So, yeah. you know, kind of I, uh, um Yeah, absolutely. Tanner McKee, once again, uh, Pac-12 player of the year. I don't care. Give, give him even defensive player of the year. It doesn't matter. Um, and yeah, I want a fraction of whatever Stanford has over Oregon and UCLA, just in literally anything in my life. I don't, I just want to feel it once, just one time. It'd be amazing. (laughs) I want it to go away. (laughs) (laughs) Literally Stanford has lived in my head rent free for almost 15 years. Imagine losing on the farm. Couldn't be me. I don't know what that's like as a Utah fan. Never Uh, experienced it. I have no idea what it's like to be a duck fan. (laughs) (laughs) As, as a final question though, um, thoughts, this got thrown out there to me earlier today and I don't know how I feel about it. We've done plenty of the Justin Wilcox to uh, UW discourse thoughts on UW going and stealing Jonathan Smith away. My biggest question, I think Jonathan Smith might be the best coach in this conference, but my biggest question is, can he coach talent? I think it would be a horrific move for the Pac-12 because I think the Pac-12 needs to vastly elevate their coaching standards. And I think Jonathan Smith being at Oregon State is the perfect spot for him for that Um, because Oregon State ain't getting a name. I would love nothing more. Well, maybe a few things more, but I would love nothing more than to watch a world and live in a world in which the head coach at Oregon State told the University of Washington, no. (laughs) He would. I mean, listen, listen, I I grew up in that era. I went to school when he was barely able to fit into his helmet at Oregon State and throwing (laughs) to Chad Johnson and TJ Hushmanzada. I sat in the Oregon State student section for the game where they won and beat us to go to the Fiesta Bowl. It was not a good day for me. I, I know Jonathan Smith very, very well. And if he were to turn down Washington, it would be such an indictment on that program. I I mean, uh, I would grow an inch. I really would. I would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think you might get your oh, wish. Good prompt, man. That need, was a good prompt. To, it just needs to leak. It just needs to leak. That's, uh... Well, well, it will leak. We talked about it. it this is credible yeah. packed yeah, up journalism. Right. That's right. This the is coaching of, news. Uh, the number of times that we get picked up, and like some random podcast is a bunch of losers said this. Is it true? <laughs> <laughs> no, usually not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, uh, thanks for that. That's great, uh, great question, Matt. I did have one question, but just, just, just to set the Utah fans straight. I'd like to ask this to Owen and Emily. D- don't say anything, Utah fans. Um, I will. I just want to hear their thoughts. Do you know who Devin Lloyd is? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for the people who are listening, in particular the Utah fans, I just want to. Is know. that an honest answer? I swear to God. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, so, so this is this is Utah fan star player. 
Yes, he's on a bunch of first team All America lists right now. No, he's not just stuff. our star player. He is God. <laughs> he is God. And they're convinced that he's a household name. Um, he's not. <laughs> anyway, um, let's go on and make some predictions for the week. It's always embarrassing to try out our uh, show, our little um, routines and traditions on this podcast with other people. Um, but we play this in the background um, as we make our picks because they're supposed to be quick. Um, nothing too lengthy. We just kind of go. What, you trying to boom, say boom, we're not boom. quick otherwise? Usually we're not. <laughs> um, now I have to remind. The it's people really like just a to hear us talk. <laughs> no, we, we do. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's make some predictions. On Friday night, first game, 6 p.m. Pacific, Arizona travels to the Palouse to play Washington State. Washington State is a... 15-point favorite. Grapes, who wins, who covers? All right, it's Washington State. It's not going to be close. Yeah, Arizona State putting up an okay performance against Utah. Jed Fish might be an okay coach. This is a Friday night road game at the Palouse. Arizona stands zero chances. Jaden Delore might be the, one of the best quarterbacks in this conference. They're going to beat them by 20. Let's go 28 points. I think they're going to win by 28. Wow, double the cover. Yep. Wow. Emily, what do you got? Who wins, who covers? Um, I, I agree. I think Washington State, absolutely. Owen? Washington State's going to win and, and, and win big. I think Washington State fell into to Dickert. Uh, he might actually be a legitimately long-term solution for them, and they're going to win by probably three or four touchdowns. It's cold this time of year up there, baby. Yeah, they're, and uh, it's not, not, not particularly cold in Tucson. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I hate hate this game so much friday night road teams have no chance washington state is going to kill everyone and we get to hear about how bad utah is all night and morning friday night and saturday morning gonna be great stay off the boards stay off the boards (laughs) um i think washington state wins i don't think they cover i don't know um arizona's been competitive all year they covered against utah and they were supposed to get blown out or that's what matt told me so give me washington state to win outright but arizona to cover you're so dumb. <laughs> um, Saturday, 4.30 p.m. I'm not going in order because I didn't. we didn't know the times for some of these. Saturday, 4.30 p.m. Pacific. Oregon, the big one, This uh, particularly for all four of the people here. Um, Oregon traveling to Salt Lake City to play Utah in what is now definitively a Pac-12 championship game preview. And easily the biggest game in the conference you this year. You're um, premature. God damn it, dude. Um, USC still has a chance. Utah Carlos. hasn't clinched yet. <laughs> you asshole. Uh, Utah is a three-point favorite. Emily, who wins? Who covers? Yeah, I think. I mean, call me optimistic, but I think Oregon's going to win by ten. Owen. Um, Oregon's going to win by not a lot of points. Um, because we always win by not a lot of points if we're not playing Stanford. So. <laughs> oh man it could be it it could be six to three it could be 30 to 24 but it'll be close and agonizing the entire way through <laughs> Matt yeah I have a lot of thoughts on the uniform matchup of this game uh Oregon definitely winning yeah I um oh, this is tough I think I think Oregon wins I think they win by oh god either either Utah's gonna pull off a a, a close win or Oregon's going to blow them out. I truly think, or if it's true that Oregon only gets up for big games, this is the last big game they'll get until they do it again in two weeks. Um, I think Oregon wins. I think they win by 14. Grapes, who wins? Who covers? Hi, hi everyone. Um, quick plug here. 
Utah has the best student section in the country. And I know, I know that student sections don't play on the field, but it's not a friendly environment. Um, I'm leading the charge on that one. It's going to be rough to play in Salt Lake City. It's a night game. If this game was at 2 p.m., I'd be like, yeah, the students are drunk from Friday night. They're not coming. It's at 530. Um, it's not going to be an easy environment for them. Utah has only played well in ugly jersey combos this year, and this is their ugliest. There is a boat on the helmet. We are a landlocked state. Um, Oregon's not winning this game. Uh, they're absolutely going to beat us in the conference championship. I'm willing to put lots of money on that, but they're not going to beat us here. The Pac-12 can't have a playoff team because good things do not happen it's to us. So can't wait to see Utah <laughs> in the Alamo Bowl part two, maybe against uh, Texas again. That'd be cool. Um, Utah's going to win. Oregon's going to cover, though. I think this is a one. I think this is going to be by one point. Go Utes. There it is. Um, okay, then let's move on to our next game. 12 p.m. Pacific on Saturday. Washington goes to Boulder to play Colorado. Washington is a <laughs> six-and-a-half-point favorite. <laughs> oh, and who wins who covers? I can't wait to watch this game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't even care with the overlap. I'll record the Oregon game. I'll do whatever <laughs> I have to do. I am going to watch this game. I'm going to wake up and make myself a hearty breakfast it is going to be an event. It is going to be a spectacle. Usually Cougs and Beeves is what I get up for every year. That's my personal college football cocaine. But this, I have been waiting for this game for weeks. And nothing, not my children, my wife, nothing will deter me from watching every second of this glorious game. I don't have a prediction. I don't really care. I want I want to sit back and love life and love that four hours as if it was my third child. God bless you all. I don't have a prediction to give you because I don't care. We're going to win. I'm, I'm writing in happiness. I'm writing in happiness. <laughs> Win-win, baby. There ain't, there ain't. Prediction is love. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, I think I have to predict this. Otherwise, they're going to get on. Yeah, me. you got to get it. Oh, well, then I'm, pred- I'm predicting Colorado to win by 35. <laughs> I mean, you could, you could have, you could have. <laughs> you didn't have to. I think I had to. But good to know that that's what we got you on paper for. Uh, <laughs> give me Colorado to win. I think Colorado might actually pull it out. It's in Boulder, <laughs> Washington's in shambles. Maybe uh, this game's going to be weird. Um, sorry, I know that Matt, you were on the docket next. Matt, uh, you got I Colorado made me mad last week. Um, we all believed in them for for them to absolutely pull the rug out. Um, I'm going with Washington getting the post just fired our coach bump. Yeah, Grapes? I I was super excited for this game. I was ready to watch. Uh, in my opinion, the two worst offenses, maybe in all of P5 if you can call them P5 offenses, play. But in the last couple of weeks, they decided to play offense, which is super, super fucking disappointed. There's my swear for the day. Um, I'm mad. I wanted to I wanted to see a 3-9 finish here, but sadly, I think they've learned how to score touchdowns. And Jarek Broussard has two 100-yard games back-to-back his first of the year. So I Make think, you know... I think we're going to see a Derek Broussard masterclass. Give me Colorado. Colorado, go All Bucks. Right. Emily, yeah, who I, wins, who covers? I, th- I think Colorado, absolutely. 
<laughs> All right, another week of Colorado down the line. Um, 1 p.m. Pacific, traveling back in time a little bit. Um, the Pac-12's most storied rivalry, UCLA, goes cross town to play USC. UCLA uh, rivalry is week. yeah, rivalry week. <laughs> UCLA is a three-point favorite. Matt, who wins, who covers? Uh, completely irrelevant football game happening here. Um, pretty upset that we even need to talk about it. Uh, this is the game that COVID really needed to cancel, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll go UCLA, I guess. Um, go Bamboo. Uh, yeah, as much as I really, I think I might actually be rooting for USC in this game. I'm ready for the Chick Kelly era to be over, so much so that I'd root for my rival to beat us. I'm ready for the Lane Kiffin era to begin. Unfortunately, I think UCLA beats up on bad teams, and USC is horrific. Uh, yeah, I think UCLA wins and covers. Grapes. I cannot believe we're saying that about UCLA going to the Coliseum. What happened? Everybody wins in the Coliseum this year. Everybody wins in the Coliseum. It's so broken. The Coliseum is where... Chip Kelly gets his extension. Um, UCLA's gonna win. UCLA's gonna win big. Chip Kelly's gonna put on that visor, invite the men's basketball team. It's gonna be a party. Go Bruins. <laughs> Emily? Yeah, I definitely I think UCLA will win. Chip Kelly will stay. <sighs> Owen. <laughs> you know, I don't want to agree with it, the whole room, but if you have to have me pick between Chip Kelly and Dante Williams as far as coaching a game. I'm going to take UCLA and they're going to cover. There it is. There it is. UCLA down the line. Hopefully that means that UCLA loses. Um, 4 p.m. Pacific. Big game. Cal is driving down to Palo Alto to play Stanford. <laughs> Cal somehow still vying for bowl eligibility. Three at six. Um, Stanford officially finishing with a losing record at three and seven. Cal is a three and a half point favorite. Grapes who win two covers. Wait. I don't. Oh. This is our sickos game of the week. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed by that. <laughs> I have no desire to watch this game. This is um, I don't even think I'm sick enough to watch this. Never watched Stanford Thank goodness football. this is at a time that I'll be preparing for the game, the big game, if you will. Um, yeah, Stanford's bad. Stanford's broken. Um, Cal is going to win uh, probably by two touchdowns. Chase Garber's back, baby. Yeah, if Chase Garber's is back, Cal's back. Uh, they're, you know, they recovered from those insane 41, 44, I think it was, positive tests. Bizarre uh, for a team that's 99% vaccinated. Um, I, yeah, I think I think Cal, three and a half point feels tiny to me, but they should win. They should beat the hell out of Stanford. Stanford has nothing going for them. Emily, who do you think? Yeah, I think, I think Cal. Cal will win. And especially if Chase Garber is back, how will win at least, I'd probably say about two touchdowns, yeah. Yeah. Owen? Stanford is going to win the game 12-9. to nine. <laughs> I have no yeah, logical explanation be... behind that other than David Shaw's going to win a game because the Stanford Illuminati is a very real thing. He needs to win to kind of shut everyone up. And they don't really care about winning, but they just don't want everyone to talk about David Shaw losing all the time, making all the money he does. So they're going to win 12-9. to 9. I love it. Yeah. That would be peak sickos. That's it. Matt? Yeah, Stanford going to get a COVID win here. I still think COVID lingering will, will affect Cal. Cal has been atrocious in every sickos game pick of the year. Stanford. Oh, competent Stanford. Might even win big. Might even win 12-8. to 8. Don't know yeah, how they're going to get there. 12-7. But it might be big. Nine. Yeah. No. <laughs> It's going to be disgusting. 
<laughs> Lastly, our lone Pac-12 After Dark game, 7.30 Pacific, Arizona's travel, Arizona State traveling to the graveyard to play Oregon State. Uh, Arizona State is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Grapes, who wins, who covers? All right, this is the bad vibes game of the week. I mean, I think we're all in the consensus of what will happen in this game. Uh, Oregon State's undefeated at home. Corvallis has some freaky, freaky voodoo going on. I want to bottle it and use it against my enemies. Um, I don't know why ASU is favored here. Um, The people in Vegas simply need to watch Pac-12 games. Oregon State's going to win big. I really, I really, really hope Jonathan Smith just repurposes the game plan he used against Utah because I think that's the path to victory is just through B.J. Baylor up the middle. Yeah, I um, Arizona State is a is is a better team. Uh, their defense is good. Their offense is good. They're not like particularly horrible at anything except being wildly undisciplined and not showing up for games. This this does feel like this this is like big bad vibes game just because Arizona State still has a trip on the Rose Bowl that uh, might might be on their future and because Where they have something go to die and yes the graveyard Oregon State Corvallis that is where dreams go to die so I I think Oregon State yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the vibes here I'm gonna say Oregon State wins Owen Oregon State's gonna win it's cold this time of year in Arizona schools in November on the road up north that's it this is the massive great brain that I have and all the logic and reasoning that I have after 40 <laughs> years of watching this conference, you can pretty much just guarantee certain things. Arizona State's not even going to want to be there, let alone want to play well. It's probably true. They'll cover too. Matt. Yeah. Yeah, there is no uh, there's no spread in favor of Oregon State uh, big enough for me to not pick them. They could be favored by 33. I don't care. Oregon State, they will mm-hmm. win. They will cover. Emily? Yeah, absolutely. I think Oregon State will win. Um, I think if it was in Tempe, it would definitely be different. But I think being in Corvallis and being in that environment and being like, I think everybody in Oregon State, like in Corvallis, is just super motivated. Like Owen mentioned, the team, I think like the student section is super motivated and all the fans are super motivated. And I think that's kind of what, what seals the deal for Oregon State to win. Also, Oregon State owns ASU in Corvallis. Like yeah. it's a yeah, thing picked- that's like one of the biggest things ASU fans complain about on Twitter is that they always have to travel to Corvallis and I love it. We picked this game in the preseason. Oh we yeah. were like, yeah, that's, been a, a, lock that's since, a lock. Since the schedule came out. I we've been new. <laughs> All right. Well pretty much Oregon State down the line there. So um, terrible news anyway. for the vibes. Terrible yeah. news for the vibes. All right, we're almost done here, but let's take a super quick truck stop to talk some Pac twelve news. our truck stop music there um all right uh we usually compile a few headlines and discuss them super super quickly again we record every sunday so we're always late to the discourse anyway i guess that's why we just take a quick truck stop except for today we got the jimmy lake firings we already talked about that um yukon hired old ucla coach jim mora who uh I'm, I'm sorry to my ducks fans here and i'm sorry we won't get to talk about it but uh that's who I think Mario Cristobal is, um, and along with every other UCLA fan in existence. We're pretty sure Mario Cristobal is just Jamora. But um, anyway, uh, we missed this a couple weeks ago, but also Georgia Southern uh, hired recently fired Clay Helton. Um, so both coaches are set to take over there. 
Uh, and then lastly, Cal, we know this, but we didn't get to talk about it. Cal had to postpone his game with USC to December 4th instead of just this past weekend because of the 44 positive COVID tests within the program, 31 of which were symptomatic despite a 99% vaccination rate. Uh, very weird. Um, this ended up not being like a Berkeley public health thing, by the way, despite some strong arguments that the city of Berkeley was doing like contact tracing or whatever. But it um, seems like they'll be fine for a big game against Stanford this week, though. So that's good. Any uh, quick reactions to these? Yeah, no, uh, well, no, no, no. It's not UConn. It's the Huskies, sir. The Huskies. The Huskies. The, Huskies. <laughs> the premier Huskies. Um, the one and only Huskies that matter at the moment. <laughs> oh, Do okay. Cal and USC have to play? Uh, is that necessary? Do we have to watch that? Uh, I think USC might be might be going for bowl eligibility still. Maybe. I, <laughs> Do we care? I'm the only one that picked USC, so absolutely, Cal just Cal should just forfeit. Any <laughs> right. other reactions to either of these things? I we need to all have a serious conversation about what to do when we you know when Cal is no longer playing sports, and I personally think that we should just take Hawaii as the 12th school. And we'll just keep them up north for just easy. It'll just be easier that way. And every other year, we'll have a better road trip to go to. There's and not then, a school in like Vancouver we can pick up. No, no. We'll, we'll take over Hawaii. Just we're just gonna go with Hawaii, and then we'll figure out how to get rid of Stanford. <laughs> and then 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 the conference will be really good. What are you talking about? Washington, Oregon, UCLA, and USC are all going to the Big Ten. <laughs> you haven't heard? Uh, I, we just if we, if we take Hawaii, Graham will be back in the Pac-12. Well, what's stopping us from taking UC San Diego after the master class they put up against Cal men's basketball? Uh, very sad. Cal, oh my God. Imagine being a Cal fan. That's horrific. Again, um, we have to have a conversation about when Cal athletics just gets just stripped from the face of the earth and then we're the Pac-11. Have a really good we swim just... and dive program going on. How do you know that? Do I don't. Know that? I don't. They like win every year. They have like an insane record of national championships, I'm pretty That's sure. That's their rowing. <laughs> all right that's it for us this went long but uh i had a lot of fun thank you so much to owen 212 and emily for coming to talk pac 12 ball with us we hope you all had fun too um remember to follow the podcast on twitter and instagram at no truck stops pod for avery uh at brave underscore grapes matt at matt Niber, emily at emily e taylor 23 and owen 212 at owen T-O-O-E-L-V-E. I'm Carlos at Equity Bruin. Any last thoughts from Owen and Emily? Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Lovely. Thanks for joining us. Uh, And remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even one. Still and thick with smoke So thick it makes